So you want to adopt artificial intelligence in your organization. Well, what questions should you ask before you go about spending money and allocating resources, or even really setting up your big strategic meeting? What should you already have in mind? What questions should you already prompt yourself with? That's the basis of this interview. This is the second in our series on AI adoption here on the AI and Industry Podcast. As I mentioned last week, we have changed our publishing date to Tuesday, and we are doing month-long themes. Every episode in the month of August is going to be about adopting AI, how to bring AI into an organization where AI isn't already sort of part of the DNA. Um, David Carmona is our guest this week. David is a general manager of AI at Microsoft. A lot of experience with them. He's been with them for many, many years. Um, and we have three big takeaways uh, from David's episode here with us on AI and industry. First, you'll learn a little bit about how uh, redefining a business process is a very different kind of AI adoption project than working on something that is horizontal. So there are some business processes, as David articulates, that are kind of the same across sectors. And there's a different level of adoption, often a different level of integration, a different level of data needs that are necessary for those kinds of problems versus things that are very particular to your own business. How do you attack both of them? And which one do you go with first? David shares some great insights there. In addition, we talk about proprietary data and things that are close to your own IP. How do you take advantage of essentially the assets, the crown jewels, the real strategic data value within your own organization. How should you be thinking about that differently? And David poses three different questions to determine where those valuable opportunities are for you. I hope that anybody tuned in here uh, can bring these questions to bear before sort of making some of their own strategic decisions. I thought that these were interesting insights and certainly worth considering for business leaders. So without further ado, we're going to fly in here to our second episode on AI adoption here on the AI and Industry Podcast. Without further ado, this is David with Microsoft. Let's roll right in. So David, hopping right in to the first question in this AI adoption series, the first one we've been asking is about misconceptions. I think when people with your degree of technical expertise and business expertise see functional business leaders kind of think about getting started with AI or begin getting started with an AI project, a lot of the times they they have misconceptions from the get-go. What do you think some of those most common ones are across industries? Hi, Dan. Pleasure to be here. Of course. Uh, yes, that's a very, very good question. And, and we see many misconceptions. I think that if I have to focus on two, I would say that the first one is actually what are the capabilities, right? So there's there's so much noise right now in the market on what AI can do and what AI cannot do. And the first question that I always get is what is truth behind all of that, right? So what are the real capabilities of AI? How would you define AI and how it can impact my business? And there's a lot of disclaimers to do in there because of that common misconception of AI because of press and because of all the here everywhere about what are those those uh, capabilities on AI. Got it. So for you, it sounds like the misconception is not having a firm grasp of what's hype and what's not? Exactly. Yeah. And what are the capabilities? So going to the next level, the question that we get all the time is, hey, make this real. So what exactly can I do with AI? And what exactly can I not do with AI? Uh, so that's usually the first question that I get. The second one, by the way, uh, and we can go in that in more detail, is the misconception on, hey, 
what do I need to get there? So what are the skills that I need? And there's this huge perception that you need to be a PhD to even get started with AI, that that I think uh, for specific scenarios may be true, but for the most common scenarios in an enterprise is definitely not true. Got it. So in terms of misconceptions, one thing is sort of around what it can do, what it can't do. Now, selfishly, David, we love that question here at Emerge because we're paid to basically map the landscape of AI and look at the vendors and look at what the Fortune 500 is doing and figure out where the traction is. So there's expensive ways to answer those questions, but not everybody wants to pay a market research firm or has the budget or the need at that level. When you think about getting an executive team up to speed on what are real capabilities? You know, you put it the right way. You said capabilities. I I like the term. When it comes to getting clear on that, you know, without at an executive level, how do people do that? I mean, I guess they have to have conversations, there's events, there's stuff online. If you were advising executive folks who were just lost as to, let's say they're in finance, Mm -hmm. as to what the heck AI can do in finance that's not hype, how do they get started? Yeah, I think that the first thing that I do is to focus on the core capabilities. So uh, I try not to uh, talk about AI as a technology, but just as a concept that can give you new capabilities that you haven't available before. So it's like a new tool that you can use for your business instead of a technology by itself, right? And the, the three things that I always uh, use to, to explain that, and they are very basic, so it's the very foundation of it. But of course, the very uh, the, the most important thing to explain in there is the concept of learning. Right, So how we're moving from uh, just developing manually, providing instructions to the machine to do something, uh, to have the machine learning by itself with either data or experience, right? So the whole concept, of course, of, of machine learning. And that has a huge implication on how you can use AI for the business. But then that's like the core aspect of it. Uh, but then to make it real, I usually focus on two areas that build on top of that. One is perception. So it's the ability for the machine to understand the world around us. And that's where you can go in more detail on areas like, I don't know, vision, speech recognition, uh, or, and the text understanding and so on, right? Which are one of the first steps on any enterprise to get into into AI. And then the last one that is usually the most complex one to explain is cognition, right? So it's being able to use that learning capability uh, to have cognition on top of data for things like, I mean, very basic stuff like regressions, right? Predictions or classifications or anything that can help you either help you make decisions based on your data or improve processes or your core business because of that. Huh, I, I like this distinction here. So thinking about AI capabilities is broadly breaking out into perception and cognition. Do you guys use some kind of a visual map to showcase that or is it more of explaining that conceptually? I, I can see that being useful if you could get that to click with executives. How do you convey that message? I mean, it seems like a slide deck might cut the mustard, but you let me know how you do it. Yeah, so for each of them, we go then in more detail on the the scenario. So for us, the way that we look at it is that each of them will provide you like a map of the core capabilities. So for example, perception, that's an easy one. We go in more detail on things like vision, text-to-speech, speech-to-text, and so on, right? So uh, cognition, same thing. So we go into six patterns that are part of cognition that can help you understand what is the detail behind that. Uh, So we use that as the core map, and yes, we do have a content for customers to to go through it. I think the important thing is that those are like your building blocks 
that then you can apply to a real problem, right? So that's the core foundation that we use for the business to understand not the technology behind it, but the capabilities that now I can apply to the business. So it's a, it's a good like dictionary for the business user to understand uh, what they can do with AI. Yeah, I, I like it. And I think that there's there's a market for that. I think business leaders, I can speak for our audience pretty well as we uh, speak with so many of them. Um, understanding AI in terms of verbs, what new thing can I do? Like, what am I actually enabling that I can see in my mind if you explain it? That's kind of a capability language as opposed to saying support vector machines, right? Which is not going to mean very much yes. to a, a head of compliance <laughs> or a, you know some director in drug discovery at Bayer or something. So, okay, cool. Completely makes sense. And I've, I've hammered home many times in the show the, the necessity of having those ground level understandings. It sounds like that's important for you too. When it comes to expectations, maybe we can kind of pivot into where you'd get started here. So if we have folks who maybe don't have tremendous experience with AI in the past, but they know they're headed into a first project. Maybe it's a big e-commerce firm and they're going to get into recommendations. Maybe it's a firm in finance and they're going to start leveraging more machine learning for fraud and do some building in-house. What are some expectations they should have up front? If they haven't worked with AI a lot in the past, they're not you know, technically you know, going to be writing the Python themselves over the weekend. What are the core expectations for business leaders? Yes, I think so. The first thing that I that I always try to to explain is is how you shouldn't look at AI like the most complex scenarios directly, right? So how you can get started easily, and this uh, connecting also to the misconception that we mentioned before on the business users and business leaders thinking that they do require from the get go a huge data science skilling organization or skill organization yeah. to to address AI. And I use another like structure for that that I try to you know to use to explain what are those short-term scenarios that they can do with AI that they don't require that depth knowledge on on AI or deep learning and so on. And those three things that I always say is first and it's connecting a little bit with the three key capabilities of AI that I mentioned before. The first one is thinking that AI look at AI just I know that is very simple this definition, but you can look at AI just as a better software a better way of creating software. Yep. So don't think yet about transforming your entire industry with AI. Think of how you are already a software company. So there's no industry nowadays that is not a software company as well. So look at AI as a way to do that software better, right? So you can have many, many new capabilities in your either business applications or also external applications with your customers by using AI. And in most cases, you don't require like either a huge amount of data or a huge you know, knowledge of the AI techniques to do that. You can use pre-built services, like for example, Cognitive Services in Azure, right? That you can use out of the box to infuse AI into those applications and make them better. Right. So that's that's a very, very easy way of looking at AI that we see a lot of enterprises having big success in the short term. Okay, yeah. So so not maybe being of the belief that unless you have a tremendous amount of data and a tremendous amount of, you know, in-house PhDs that you can't get anything done. You know, obviously there's a slight bias here, right? You guys are a vendor, so the ease of deployment is a big part of the shebang. And I know we've got to mm. uh, kind of emphasize that. Clearly, there are tools. Azure's obviously in the runnings here that that are making this much more accessible than it was, let's say, three years ago, four years ago for for mm. an enterprise to get into. That is definitely true. When it comes to what is required for in-house talent, 
you know, we've often said that if you're entirely just relying on what vendors are saying, you might be setting yourself up for a pretty rough circumstance or, or consultants. But as you had said, you don't need a huge bench of these folks to get started with any given AI project. What level of in-house talent is often needed? It would probably vary a lot depending on what kind of project. But when you think about kind of a rule of thumb for what, what a smart enterprise should have in-house when they have vendor conversations with folks like yourself, what is a smart level? What's necessary? Yeah, so it, it depends on that level of maturity, right? So if you are just infusing AI into your applications, I mean, in our case, for example, these pre-built AI services, they are targeted developers. So you uh, can yeah, yeah. use your developer motion already if you have one in-house to infuse AI into your applications, right? And you can customize those models and you can do a lot of uh, customization and connection to your business without any data science knowledge, right? So that's, that's powerful. But if you go beyond that, I think the next step where it is important to, to go to the next level of skills is to bring AI not only to those applications, but to your business processes, right? And mm-hmm. now we're talking, right? So now that is a different league, right? That is not about modernizing your existing applications or creating new applications like, for example, I don't know, a, a conversational AI a application, right? Which you can also do uh, with uh, development skills. But now you're talking about changing, improving, or even redefining a business process with AI. And that usually requires data science uh, knowledge, right, and and skills. Although I have to say that even in that case, I double-click there a little bit, and I distinguish (laughs) between two different different processes, right? So I think we have to look at it as uh, horizontal processes. So think of processes like marketing, sales, customer service that are very, very shared or very, very similar across different industries, right? So customer service or marketing, they are very similar, no matter if you work on manufacturing or you work in healthcare, right? Yeah. Uh, For those, you already have out-of-the-box solutions that you can try to use, right? So you have this concept of SaaS AI uh, that in many cases with uh, a little bit of customization without, again, requiring deep knowledge of data science you can customize for your business and those are very powerful uh, I, I think what you need really need that uh, data science experience is for those vertical processes right so think of processes that are very unique to your differentiation as a company so if you are uh, if you are over you probably don't want to use an out-of-the-box solution for your core distribution algorithm, right? So that's your your uniqueness. That was what makes your company your company, right? So in those cases, we do see custom development uh, and those usually require, of course, uh, more skills and experience on data science. Yeah. Okay. This is a really useful distinction. I think the the uh, listeners should should take this to heart. Yeah. You have some systems. I mean, I guess you could think about it maybe in terms of extremes. And David, you'd have some detail to throw into this before we go into our last question. You know, you have systems that are pre-trained, like you said. You know, you take something like security cameras that need to detect people and vehicles, right? It's like, okay, we don't need to train that on our security footage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, unless we have some kind of unique types of people or unique types of vehicles that mm-hmm. we need to track, we may just be able to detect movement or detect a certain kinds of activity based on a vendor already having trained it. We don't have to feed it our data at all. We kind of plug it into our existing systems. There's there's things like that. A little bit of customization, very pre-trained. It's kind of a rote model that many businesses could use. Okay, cool. Lower barrier to entry for talent. What you're saying is, 
those types of data, types of processes, types of systems that are really unique to us, that probably there isn't a vendor doing it with 300 other companies. It's, it's kind of tailored to something specific about what we're up to. Now we're going to need a lot of that business context and in-house data science knowledge to really be able to mold a solution to fit that. That's, is that kind of where you're headed? Exactly. Yeah. And there's there's a rule of thumb that I always use to identify quickly those processes. And the three questions that I usually ask is, what are those processes where you have unique experience? So if you've been doing this for 20 years, you are probably going to know better than anybody what is required to make it better with AI. The second question is, do you have specific data? So you have unique data that nobody else has on that particular process. That is also a sign that you may want to use custom AI to leverage that data. And the third one is, do you have IP? So is there anything that you develop that is very unique to you that you think you can take it to the next level with AI? Yeah, so something where you wanted to really be the anchor of your competitive advantage, you know, in that case, leaning on a vendor entirely may not be smart if this is gonna be kind of the future of your business strategically. Exactly. Got it. And I guess that takes us into our last question, David, which I'm I'm curious to see what your thoughts are going to be here, given how many sectors you folks work in, integrate with, et cetera, which is around selecting a first AI project. I mean, a lot of the work now, I imagine at Microsoft, it's the same. I know it is at NVIDIA and many, many other large firms. It's exploring what the heck can we do with AI is what is what a lot of people are sort of asking. And sometimes that's a silly question because doing AI for its own sake might be wasteful, but sometimes it's, it's not wasteful. You know, sometimes it really is the best tool for the job. Other times it's a good opportunity to build a skill that's going to be critical in the future. And so we have to be doing something, you know, we don't want to waste money here, but we have to be doing something. When you think about an enterprise who's trying to decide, where do we apply this first? What are your ways of thinking through that problem at an enterprise level? Yeah, that's, that's my favorite question. Cool. <laughs> it is, it is definitely so important to pick that first project correctly. Cause I, I saw so, so many projects that are either disappointing because of the project that it was picked or uh, not meeting the expectations on the impact because you went too low on the ambition for that first project, right? So really critical decision. I I think the most important uh, thing that I say here is always make that decision from the business side. So, and I, and I use an example all the time is don't look, yeah, I know that the, that first AI project should be small. So we always say start small, start small. Don't take so much that you are not yet prepared to, uh, to deliver. But at the same time, you should look at it as the first step in, your, in a journey. So what I mean with that is that don't look at that first AI project as just a pilot on some random place that you think you are going to get benefits in the short term. Look at your long-term strategy. Think about where do you want to be in three years, how you want to redefine your company with AI, and pick a first AI project that is a step in that direction. Yes, you are not going to fulfill that entire strategy in the first project, but at least you are going in the right direction. So that's something uh, very important. The the other thing that I always say here, and uh, I love, I heard yesterday this way of, of referring to the stage where many enterprises are today. It was referred as the pilot purgatory. 
<laughs> so you're always <laughs> in pilot mode, right? Yeah. I love that expression when I heard it yesterday. Oh, man. And it's so true. It is so true, right? So we see so many companies that are in pilot forever. And yeah, they are, it is great. They're learning. But hey, where are the results? Where, when am I going to have this in production and get real results, right? Yeah. And close the loop so I can keep learning, right? Uh, that is so, so important. And I think uh, there's there's some the, like common factors in here that I see all the time when I when I see this pilot purgatory. But I think the most important one is that disconnection with the business, right? So it's looking at AI as a way for the business to be empowered, supported by the technical organization and not the other way around. So not looking at the technical organization making those decisions and then the business trying to get that, right? And an example that I'm using here is actually our internal experience in Microsoft. So of course, in Microsoft, we also use AI internally, right, for our processes. And we use it across sales, marketing, customer service, Service. Uh, one of them is finance. So in finance, we actually do, uh, today we, we do our forecast as a company with AI. So a process that was primarily uh, done by the finance department on a manual uh, way, now is all driven by, by AI. So all the forecasts that you see externally from Microsoft that is being generated with, with AI, with human, of course, uh, involvement and intervention. Uh, so we move that process from being 3% uh, violence to budget to now 1.5. So it, it's becoming even better. And what is even better for the finance department is that now they can focus on things that are less operational, like forecasting, and more impactful, like understanding or identifying what are the next business that Microsoft should be part of. So that was huge. Now, how we get there, that reminded me a lot on the pilot purgatory. Because at the very beginning, the way that this worked, the way that we try to transform our finance organization with AI was very top down, was basically, hey, this is where we want to be. This is how we're going to drive this AI transformation. It was very ambitious. It was great. It just didn't work. And it didn't work because the business user, so that final user in the finance department was not involved from the beginning. And the way that we changed that dramatically was doing it just the other way instead of top down is getting the business user, the finance person involved in the process. And we actually did a training to that business user base and it's very similar to, so it's going more detail on those three capabilities that I was mentioning before. We created a training that is actually external too. So people, any enterprise, if you search for AI business school, it's the training that we also provide externally for business users to understand what is AI. And we deliver that internally in the organization without any guidance, right, on what projects we should address with AI. So very different from the initial approach. And then we waited for the business user to be the one providing, hey, these are the use cases that I want to target. And by a long shot, the most popular use case that they wanted to target was forecasting because it was a pain for them. It was not something that they enjoyed. They preferred to do other things. That change it dramatically. So that process to identify the first AI project made the difference to them be successful, right? Because you have the business user involved, they're going to be part of it, they're going to provide feedback, they're going to use it, they're going to provide the right data, and you are going to get into a loop that is going to cause that project to be successful. Got it. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of lessons to pull away from this. Hopefully, some of the folks tuned in will take to heart you know, anything that sort of worked well at Microsoft or was a hard lesson learned at Microsoft should be transferable here. One of the big things is 
yeah, involving who the end user is going to be off the bat so that there's kind of buy-in, there's a viable use case, there's something that we know is going to be valuable sort of at the end. So essentially the subject matter expert, these people often, I would imagine, David, have very little technical AI ability. They just want to solve problems. But you're talking about having those people with the real problems be part of conversation number one. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And, and I think for that conversation to be actually productive, it is important that the business user understands what are those core capabilities of AI. So it can be a conversation at the same level, right? Because you, when you have a big gap between the technical organization and the business organization, the conversation in there is very, very difficult, right? So it, yeah. it, you have to bring it closer. Yep. Yeah. We, we talk about in terms of knowing broadly what AI can do, and then also having some idea of the landscape of use cases within your sector specifically. Just to reiterate for the audience, David, just as we wrap up, two little quick things here. One was perception, cognition. What was the third again? Learning. Learning. So as a core foundation, yes. Okay. Um, so yeah, those three. And then let me see if I can nutshell this final point as, as we wrap up. You had mentioned initially when you talked about picking a project, a really cool dynamic here. Again, really want to reiterate this for the audience. We need to think about this as a critical capability. In other words, whatever our first project is, expecting that to overhaul customer service or overhaul marketing, that, that's kind of a silly thing to expect. AI is, you know, there's a lot of new things. There's a lot of skills to learn. What you're saying is, shoot for a place to land that is not just to play around and build the skills, but is in line with your ultimate goals and can be seen as kind of a bit of learning, a bit of a building block to get towards where you want your company to ultimately be. So it's not a toy application in a dark corner. It's something maybe you won't have tremendous returns, but you'll build core skills and you'll build towards something important. It's in line with longer term strategy. So it might be smaller, it might be a beachhead, but it's at least got a line of sight to, to where you ultimately want to be. Would you frame that in a better way, David? Or am I? Yeah, no, that is that is exactly it. Yeah, that was perfect. Oh, man. Okay. I don't always get it right, but that, that makes me happy <laughs> that I did there. Okay, perfect. Well, David, I know that that's all that we had for time, but I sincerely appreciate you being able to share your insights. You've been great with the analogies, and I think there's a lot of great lessons here. So thanks so much for being with us on AI and Industry. Thank you, Dan. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode. Our first episode was with Vlad Sejnoa with Glasswing Ventures. I hope you got to listen to that one. It was the first in our series here on AI adoption. Just wrapped up with David. For every episode in this series, as I mentioned before, in the show notes, we will have a related article on Emerge.com. Many of our listeners use the podcast as a jump-off point to explore the rest of our content. Thousands of articles on Emerge.com about every kind of AI application in every kind of sector. Uh, so if your curiosity is spiked, go to emerj.com, type into the search box or use the menu. We try to make it a very easy menu to use and find what you're sort of looking for. I have one suggested resource from this episode. Uh, David talked a lot about how the adoption readiness of organizations is better now thanks to AI tools and thanks to proliferation of AI knowledge. And we have an article that talks about kind of the zeitgeist of AI adoption. How is artificial intelligence becoming more accessible within the enterprise? Um, and that article, again, is about the zeitgeist of adoption. That's going to be linked in the show notes. So if you go to SoundCloud, if you go to Stitcher, if you go to any of the audio places where this show is hosted, um, you'll be able to see that article linked up in the show notes. So do make sure to check that out as well. In the next episode, we're going to be speaking with Jan Newman. 
Uh, Jan Newman is the senior director of applied AI research at Comcast. This is a hundred billion dollar company. Um, and Jan speaks with us about scaling best practices in a large enterprise. Critical insights, even if you are a mid-sized company, a lot of this is going to be tremendously applicable. Uh, but Jan has experience at a very high level here at Comcast. And that's going to be our next episode where we'll talk about scaling some of these uh, insights that we've sort of brought to the table today. I'll say this much as well in closing, folks. Many people are already getting this podcast in their inbox every week on the newsletter. If you are not already subscribed, emerj.com, there's a place to subscribe to the newsletter right on the homepage. You can unsubscribe anytime. But if you want to stay abreast of what we're publishing here on the podcast and you want to see our other latest research, we're spinning out insights about new applications and financial services and life sciences and defense. The whole capability space of AI is what we map every single week. We're always expanding sort of what's possible with AI, and we send that out to our email newsletter uh, subscribers twice a week. Please do subscribe. It's emerj.com. And stay tuned and make sure you don't miss an episode. But without further ado, we're going to wrap this one up, and next week it's going to be Yon with Comcast.